We're in a series of studies titled The Characteristics of God's Grace. In our first three studies, we considered first the covenant of grace because that's what came first. You'll recall in the first study, the covenant of grace, we spoke about the great three in one, the covenant, the agreement that they would be gracious to a people. And I don't want to go back and go over all that again, but next we came to regenerating grace, which is the works of the Holy Spirit in giving life to a dead soul, in regenerating one who was dead in sin, trespasses in sin. And then our last meeting, we looked and considered sanctifying grace. We next want to spend our time together considering justifying grace. God's grace in justifying a people, a people who by nature are unjust, a people guilty, a people deserving of God's wrath. Listen to these words in James 2 verse 10. For whomsoever, or I'm sorry, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. In Romans 3.19, we read these words, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Did you know that the Lord Jesus himself was made under the law? Listen to these words recorded in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Our Lord Jesus was just as accountable to God's law as all mankind are. Yet he knew no sin. He is the sinless one. Everything he did pleased the Father. The only flesh to ever be true to God's holy law was the perfect, righteous God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's best to try to understand this word justify. We might consider first the word unjust. Justify is a trans transitive verb. It's a word of action, meaning to make something that was or is not just. Unjust means moral evil, iniquity, perverseness, unjustly, unrighteously, wickedness. That's according to the Strong's Dictionary, page 2. Therefore, if all have sinned and come short of, against God's holy law, then all come into this world as unjust. Exodus 3, 23, verse 7, we read these words, Keep thee far from a false matter, and the innocent and the righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. God's law must be satisfied. God's holy justice must be met. And this is where God's grace comes in. Our nakedness is not hid. We stand before the thrice holy God, exposed in our wickedness, dead in trespasses and sin, for us to be accepted of God, we must be justified 
in his sight. This is the question. Job, in Job 25, 4, how then can a man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? God gives us the answer through the prophet David in Psalms 51, verse 1. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to that, we'll give you just a moment. While you're turning there, the title or the, the leading words into this psalm are to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet had came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. David writes these words, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Folks, that's the only way God has mercy on anyone. None of us receive mercy except for in the love in thy loving kindness and that loving kindness is a loving kindness that has been before the world was jesus christ known as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world has loved his people with an eternal love an everlasting love a love that has never begin that has always been there it never began and it'll never end it's eternal it's everlasting and his mercy is according to thy loving kindness, according again unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, writes David. In verse 2 he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Who is it that washes our sin? Do we get washed when we go into the waters of baptism? No. All we do is get wet. Our spirit, the things of our spirit, must be washed clean by the, by the Lord himself. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Oh, oh, what it is to be one who knows the depths of their transgressions. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Folks, that's not the way of the world. The way of the world is I have no sin. I, I used to be a sinner, but now, now I believe and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and, and I'm righteous. I, I have, I've become more righteous. I'm, I'm growing in righteousness. No, God's people know better. We're ne this flesh will never get any better. Our only righteousness is in our Savior. Our sin of this flesh is always before us. Verse 4, against thee and thee only, writes David, writes all of God's people, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge, wash me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Page 3. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Folks, only God can deal with the hearts of men. Only God can take the old stony heart that we come into this world with and take it out 
and replace it with a new heart, a heart that loves Him because He first loved us. Verse 11 says, Cast me not away from Thy presence. Take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. What depth of, of blessings that is. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. You know why His salvation is so good? Because it's easy. Take my yoke upon you, He says to us. My burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thy salvation, Lord, is complete rest in your providential hand. And it says on that also, it says, Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will treat, then I will teach transgressors thy ways. I'll go about my way in this valley of the shadow of death, teaching those around me. Those who are transgressors as I am, thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's how Lord converts sinners through, through the preaching of his word. How are you going to call on somebody you've never heard? And how are you going to hear unless God sends a preacher? Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifice of the righteousness, of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. As do all men, we need to be justified before God. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot buy our way clean. We cannot make a decision to be clean. There is nothing we can do because all we are is sin. Even our good works are full of self-righteousness, full of pride, and full of sin. Pastor Gene used to say this quite often. He would say, there is enough sin in my little pinky fingertip to condemn me to hell. Folks, I remind you the wages of sin is death. For one to be justified before God, the penalty must be paid. The sin debt must be removed. This is accomplished by justifying grace through the Deliverer, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus the Christ. His substitutionary death for His people paid the price in full, completely satisfying God's judgment. Christ was judged in our place. Our Lord became flesh so that He could go to the cross and die the death of judgment. God turned His back on His Son. Can we comprehend that? Can we comprehend the depth of God's love and that He would turn His back upon His own Son who was dying as though our... No. As, as He was dying for our sins? He paid the price in full. He completely satisfied God the Father's judgment. Christ was judged in our place. 
Listen to Isaiah 53, 8, verse through 11. Verses 8 through 11. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Justifying grace. In John 3.16, God's word tells us that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see there is something we must do. We must believe. This is the key. Do I believe? Do I believe that God was manifest in the flesh in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I believe that God was manifest in the flesh and walked this earth in perfect righteousness before God Almighty, establishing righteousness for, the, for His chosen people? Do I believe that the precious, wonderful, righteous blood of Christ was shed on that cross over 2,000 years ago that His people would be redeemed unto Him, that His people would be washed in the blood of His Son. Do I believe that death could not hold this one, the Lord Jesus? He who is conqueror over death. He who is Lord of life and Lord of death arose again to be seated at the right hand, the hand of power with God the Father. Do I believe? Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 28. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus whosoever believeth in him should not perish that's what we read in John 3.16 this is what it says that he might be the just the just one, the one who is perfect and upright before God, and the justifier, the one who makes his people justified before God the Father, of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. That's the same word. Faith, believing. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Why is that so important? Folks, the religious folks of today, they love the fact that Christ died for someone and, and paid the sins for someone. 
But they they want they wanted Jesus that they can manipulate their own way. They they come into the world and they say, well, that's that's fine that Jesus died for you, but you must get better. You must progress in your holiness. You must progress in your sanctification. Otherwise, you're not saved. They're adding to the works of Christ. This is this is what this is talking about. We're justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And what does our faith come from? Did we just decide one day to believe? Did John Reeves, this foolish, small-minded man, just one day all of a sudden get smart and say, you know what, I think I'm just going to believe in Christ now. No, that's not how it works at all. This is how it works in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, through belief, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, salvation is of the Lord and the Lord alone. Even our faith is of Him. That leaves us nothing to boast of in ourselves, but all the glory goes to Him. In the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, we read verse 32 through 39, and we declare unto you glad tidings. Isn't that what the preaching of the gospel is? We're declaring unto sinners the good news. Glad tidings. Blessed are the feet of them that bring glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us. All the promises God made to Abraham, all the promises He made to Jacob, all the promises He made to King David, all the promises he made to Israel, God has kept unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. David We'll read that in a moment. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he, he, the Lord Jesus, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Why? Because God only has to do something once. Unlike the the prophets and the priests of old who would go into the holiest of holies every year and shed blood the blood of Jesus accomplished what it was meant to do God only has to do something once he never has to do something twice he may say something twice in his word for your and my sake to stress to us the importance of it but he never ever had to do anything twice once was good enough because he does it perfectly He whom God had raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. Is that not good words to a sinner? One who has to go through this valley of the shadow of death, dealing with the sin of this flesh, daily upon daily upon daily, we are justified from all things. That does not give us 
the license to go out and sin freely willy willy nilly? No. No, because God's people know. We know that we're sinning against God. We know that what we do is sin against God, and it troubles us. If you're not troubled with the sin that is in your life, you need to get out on your hands and knees and pray that God might shine His grace and His mercy in your heart. And if He is shining His mercy and His grace in your heart, then you are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Romans 5, 1-2, we read this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Romans 5, 8-10, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled by God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now we could go on and on in reading Scripture. I, this, this is just three sections of Scripture, Acts, Romans 5, this is just three sections that use that word justified. There are so many more that we could spend the next three lessons just looking at that very word and not cover it to its extent. There's so much more than we have time to consider in one or even two studies. So allow me to wrap this up in closing. The justification of God's elect as it is with all salvation, is through His Son, the Lord Jesus. By His grace we are saved. This is our peace. He who works all things out according to His own will and purpose provides all that He requires of us, and He fulfills it to His own specifications, perfection, righteous, and just. In Romans 8:29, we read these words, For whom He did foreknow. Folks, God... This is this this word for no. This is a this is an intimate knowledge. This is not uh, this is this is knowing someone personally. For whom he did know personally, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestinated all of those that were chosen in God by God the Father from before a star ever twinkled. All of those that he foreknew. Now that doesn't mean he foreknew somebody was going to make a decision for him. No, he looked down through time. He knows that none will make a decision for him. He's the one who has to make the decision for them. <clears throat> he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son. Does that not excite you as a Christian? Does that not excite you as a child of uh, of full of sin that God has predestinated us to someday be just like His Son someday we'll go through that door marked death and we'll be just like Jesus without the holes in our hands perfect and righteous before God do you know God looks upon us right now as though we are as righteous as His Son he looks upon us and He sees our sin no more. Why? Because God the Son 
took our sins as His own. Because God the Son was made to be our sin and took that sin into the grave, shedding His own blood that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate them also He called. He calls by the power of God. Folks, Jesus Christ is not sitting around going, won't you come unto Me? Christ never said that anywhere in His Word. He says, come, follow Me. And they did. He said, come, Lazarus. Lazarus came. I love that statement that many pastors have said. If God had not used the name of Lazarus when He called him from the grave, all of the graves would have opened up. That's the power of God's call. And whom He called, them He also justified, made holy, made perfect, made just, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? And here's a verse that just lays so precious to my heart. If God be for us, who can be against us? Folks, I know that's tough for you and I to deal with in this life where we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, where our sin is ever before us in this flesh. But if God be for me, who can be against me? Can John be against himself? No. Let's read on with that. Verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God gave his only begotten son. What is everything else? He gave everything in his son. What is everything else? We, I've mentioned this before. You know, Bill, my good friend Bill and I, we, we used to talk all day long on driving around, I was driving around in my truck and he was home and uh, Bill was disabled so he was able to talk and we would we would fight along a little bit at times, what is heaven like? Yeah, you, you've done that what, what's heaven going to be like? And it always came back, and, you know we fight around with that a little bit, you joke, you know well, I, got, I bet you my Harley doesn't leak any oil when I'm in heaven but that's just funning around the truth of the matter is this what is it like in heaven? I'll tell you what it's like in heaven. You're in the presence of the Almighty God, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where heaven is. And when Jesus and wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up. How she not often freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And Paul closes verses 38 through 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me, us, 
from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, I share with you this phrase that has been shared with me over and over again. The difficulties of going to the pulpit and preaching the same message every Sunday, every Friday night. The people that are so much more knowledgeable in Scripture than I am who come to me and say, John, if you'll just go a little deeper, if you, if you just go a little deeper into God's Word, I'm going to ask you something. What is, could be more deeper? What could be more important than Jesus Christ and Him crucified? What, what more do you need in life than Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Keep on keeping on. You may not feel the Lord is close by, by, but that's why we trust not in the flesh. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3, we read these words, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That includes your feelings. That includes your thoughts. Everything about this body is nothing but sin from top of my head to the bottom of my feet. You want to trust in something? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done. Believe on Him and thou shalt be saved. The definition of the word just according to the Strong's Dictionary is this. Number one, one who is righteous before God. And it gives an example of that. Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Secondly, its definition is exact. It's accurate. A just one is exact and accurate. Our Lord gives us an example of that in Leviticus 19, 35-36. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meteorite, or in weight, or in measure. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hen shall ye have. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And thirdly, the word just means honest and upright. And we see in Luke chapter 23, 50, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. In most revisions, men have used the word righteous in place of just. But wait a minute, John. Was not Lot also called just? Why, yes, he was. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4-9, through 9, we read these words, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darknesses to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should 
that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot. There you go. The Lord calls Lot just. Vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Does that not sound like the world that we live in today? Are not our souls vexed with the world around us? Our loved ones who know not God? The, 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 the laws of this land who have turned wickedness into righteousness, who have turned righteousness into wickedness, good into evil, evil into good. Does that not sound the same as what Lot was in? The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. How can Lot be called just? He took what belonged to Abraham. Abraham was the elder. Abraham should have taken what he desired in the land, but he gave to Lot the decision, and Lot, instead of taking the lower lands, he took the high lands, the rich lands. The lands that should have gone to his, his, his uh, uh, uncle Abraham. And then he dallied about when he was told to leave Sodom. When the angels came and the look, told him, you've got to leave, get your family and leave this place. We're going to destroy the city. He just dallied about like, okay, well, yeah, let me go see if I, let me go get this done first. Let me go take care of, you know what, I left my, I left my coffee in the microwave. I need to go take care of that. The angels of the Lord had to drag him out. And then he got drunk. And he slept with his two daughters. How could he be called justified? The same way you and I are. By God's grace. By the righteous blood of the one who is just and the just justifier. I read again Romans 3 verse 24 through 26. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you believe? Folks, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read these words. For he hath made him, for God the Father hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's justifying grace. Amen.